Good evening. Merry Christmas. My name's Tom Ricks. I'm one of the pastors here at Green Tree. Are you all awake? All right. Not, not too much dinner, not too much libation with dinner. You're, you're good to go for a little while. I left my house. We had had dinner. We played Blocus for about an hour or so, and we watched a movie. And when I was gone, all five of them were sprawled on different places, sound asleep. So I figure if I get home about 5 after 12, I'm just going to open my presents before I go to bed. And it will all work out great. Okay. We have been talking about dawn. We've been talking about uh, the coming of the Messiah. I came home from a hockey game last night that I was coaching, and I came home kind of late. And there's this theme in my family. They they were on the couch sleeping last night, too. They were on about the third or fourth episode of Lost, and uh, and they were all asleep. And I got home about 11 and went upstairs and was kind of walking through the bedroom. And... There was a light on in the hallway, and I've lived in this house for, I don't know, since 1996, so, you know, I've, 97, so, you know, we've been there 15 years or so, and I know my way around my own bedroom, and so I didn't really feel compelled to, to flip a light switch on. I had a little bit of light in the hallway, and I headed towards the bathroom, but somebody put a Christmas box in the middle of the floor, and it, and it was dark, and I didn't see it, and, uh, and I offered, you know, there was a lot of humor when they woke up and heard the loud thud, and came to see what had happened, and there I was kind of, kind of sprawled out on the floor. But it reminded me uh, how dangerous uh, darkness can be, uh, how, how dangerous it can be, how harmful darkness can be. We, uh, we, we tend to try to light our way no matter where we're going and what we're doing. In, in, uh, in this room, when all the side lights go out there, you know, they have these little lights on the floor that can pop up in case you can't see where you're going. Uh, when you are out in the woods, uh, if you've ever been backpacking or, or camping and, and you're out in the woods late at night, you know, you want to make sure you have a flashlight with you because darkness can be a dangerous place. Spiritual darkness is, is even worse. Spiritual darkness is a darkness that, that maybe we don't even realize uh, is affecting our lives. We don't even necessarily realize that we're in spiritual darkness. We feel pretty good. We, we feel like our lives are pretty well together. And it may be that, that there isn't a light shining into our soul and we're not necessarily even aware of that. The theme of this Advent series has been six degrees below horizon. It's the idea of dawn. And we've been looking at the coming dawn. If you've been at Green Tree for the last few weeks, you know that we started way back in Isaiah and his prophecy uh, about the coming of the, the, the one who would be from the house of David, the Lord's Messiah. And, and we began by talking about uh, the idea of astronomical dawn, which is a dawn where the sun is still 18 degrees below the horizon, and the sky is still mostly black. I think we actually have the picture. I don't know if we can bring the spots down for just a second. Thank you. This was the picture we put up several weeks ago at Green Tree, and you can see that there's, there's kind of a hope and a promise over there to the east, that the sun is, is on the rise, the new day is dawning, but it's clear that most of the sky uh, is still completely black. Uh, and that's called astronomical dawn. The next Sunday, we looked at what's called nautical dawn, which is where the, uh, the sun is 12 degrees below the horizon. Uh, and objects in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in, the, in the foreground or in the background there are somewhat distinguishable. You can begin to see the surrounding area. And so if you look at that picture as we have the last couple of weeks, you see it's on a, a lake. It's kind of a quiet morning. You see some house lights back there on the background. You can maybe even see the tree here in the foreground, a little bit of a peninsula in the background. So you can begin to make out the message. And we looked at the, the, the prophecy of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. And the message got a little bit clearer. 
that this one who was going to come in the name of the Lord was going to come. And he was going to come and he was going to preach salvation through the forgiveness of sins. And he was going to show the tender mercies of God. And he was going to create a pathway of peace between man and God. And then last Sunday we looked at what's called civil dawn, which is where the sun is six degrees below the horizon. And it's that time of day where you can actually begin outdoor activities. And I don't know if you remember, uh, if you were here last Sunday, Michael Overtop shared a little bit about how he runs in the morning in the early time when he can begin to see the day take shape. And you can see on, on this picture, if you can uh, see over to the left a little bit, you see the arch there in the background. And so you can, you can make out a little bit uh, enough to begin going about your day. Well, the, this evening, we want to just talk about the dawn of salvation. Last week, we looked at it. It's right on the cusp. It's right here. Last week, we looked at, at the shepherds hearing the message that to you is born today in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the angel said, go and see. Go and see. You'll find the baby. And the shepherds went and saw. And then they went and told everybody what they had seen. So the Savior had arrived, but we, we still haven't heard the message. We haven't heard it from his own lips. The, the sun has not actually broken the plane of the horizon, but tonight it has. This evening we're going to look at, at the literal dawn where the sun comes out and we begin to see the day for what it is. And I want to take just a few moments this evening and look at the dawn of salvation as it breaks across the horizon of your soul and the horizon of my soul and what that could possibly mean for you and for me because the message is becoming very, very clear. And the question is, what does it reveal? What is the message for us? Well, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that is not a traditional Christmas passage. It's not about the angels or the wise men or the shepherds. Uh, it's actually the first, uh, some of the first words that Jesus offers in his public ministry. This is very early on in the public ministry of Jesus. And he goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth. And he goes to church on the Sabbath because he's, he's a good guy. That's what he's supposed to do, right? He's supposed to go to church. And somebody hands him the scripture to read. He's going to do the scripture reading for the day. And that's where we're going to pick up this passage because I believe in these words that Jesus reads from the Old Testament. And then his comments following those words will give us a clear understanding of the dawn of salvation, and then we can apply that to our hearts. I can apply that to, to my life, and you can apply it to your life. So hear the word of God. It'll be up on the screen. In Luke chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 16 and read through verse 21. Hear the word of God. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, and on the Sabbath day, he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, in the, the quietness of the late night, as we uh, have probably already begun our celebration, perhaps dinner with friends and family, 
uh, perhaps some time around the, the table, uh, getting reacquainted with uh, folks who have maybe come into town, uh, maybe already telling some old stories of what happened at Christmas when we were kids. Father, perhaps some of us are coming very lighthearted and, and very thankful and very joyful, and maybe some of us are coming carrying burdens that we weren't carrying this time last year. Maybe perhaps we lost a job or a loved one is, is no longer with us. Father, maybe we're coming very discouraged or maybe we're coming without a care in the world or maybe we're probably for most of us we're somewhere in between those two. But Father, each one of us comes needing to hear the word of God regardless of the time of day, the season of the year. Every moment we need to know your truth. Father, it's not man's philosophy or man's ideas for which we uh, have gathered together, but rather we come to sit at the feet of Jesus and to hear his truth. And Lord, you know that I'm uh, insufficient. I can't find the words to, uh, to, to explain the glory and the majesty of these verses. Father, you know my sin. I pray that you would forgive me. And I would ask that you wouldn't let me stand in the way of what you want us to know this evening. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come your word and your spirit, that you would teach us for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Jesus reads in, uh, in the synagogue in Nazareth a passage of scripture that's become known as Isaiah 61. And if you go back to that particular passage and you read it, it, it unfolds even a little bit more. Uh, but whether you are a Christian scholar or whether you are a Jewish scholar or whether you are a scholar of scripture but you don't really have any faith in God at all, the scholars agree universally that this passage speaks about a Messiah. It speaks about the one who God promises will come and will set things right. And so what we have before us this evening is the complete dawn of salvation. If you want to know what the Christian faith believes, if you want to know what Scripture proclaims, if you want to know what the, what the promises of Jesus are, you're going to hear them in these very short words that, that he proclaims tonight. As Jesus speaks, he speaks about the activity of God's Redeemer. He talks about the actions of which he's going to undertake. He's been given a charge by God the Father, and now he's going to fulfill that work. What exactly is this plan? What is the Redeemer going to be about? Well, I began to think about not only this passage of Scripture, but kind of the whole sermon series. And, and actually, you, in my line of work, you start thinking about Christmas in August, and you start thinking about Easter in January. So it's just kind of a weird, weird deal that comes with the territory. But uh, in late August, I uh, talked to my buddy, Sean Clausen, about this idea. And Sean is, is a guy who's finishing up his architectural degree, but I also found out that he is an artist. And Sean just found himself at the wrong place at the wrong time. That's kind of the bottom line. People that know me know that, that if I find out you're good at something, I might actually ask you to, to use that uh, at church at some point. And so I, I asked Sean to kind of read through this passage and think about Dawn and, and to pray about it and to tell me what he saw when he read this passage from an artist's perspective. And what we're going to show you this evening is behind this, behind this covering is Sean's understanding of these verses and the activity that the Redeemer would involve himself with in order to bring salvation, in order to, to bring grace and mercy. But I, and what you're see, going to see is really pretty cool, but what I, what I love about what Sean has done is he's not only looking at the activity, but he's looking at the need. 
I think as Sean started his work, he began to think about the ways in which Jesus identifies the people whom God is most interested in in, in caring for in redemption. And there are descriptive terms in this passage in Isaiah that Jesus calls attention to. And he wants us to see and understand the plight of those that need salvation. So there are four descriptive terms. uh, And I'm going to kind of peel these off one by one. I kind of feel like Vanna White a little bit. I know I don't look anything like her. Um, But but the first thing that Jesus uh, reads out of Isaiah is this idea that that the Messiah is coming to proclaim good news to the poor. That there are people in the world that that are literally starving from a spiritual perspective. Now, we know what it's like for people to be poor, although there are probably very few people in this room that actually would fit that definition. There may be a handful. But we live in a very prosperous country, and even the middle class in our country and the lower middle class in our country is much more well-off than the rest of the world. But spiritual poverty, a starvation because of a lack of nourishment. And Jesus says that that the Messiah comes, as he reads out of Isaiah, to proclaim good news to the poor, which means there's a meal. There's food, there's provision, there's shelter, there's clothing, there's care. But those who need a Messiah are people who are spiritually poor. The second descriptive term that the, I'm supposed to pull it from the left-hand side, that uh, Jesus points to out of Isaiah is about those who have become captives. That, that the Messiah is going to come and is going to set free, he's going to bring liberty to the captives. Now the captives are a person who, who, is, who is someplace against his or her will without the, kind of, you know, without the kind of company they would like to have. Our daughter Katie, the best way to, to discipline our daughter Katie when she was little was to make her go sit down on her bed by herself. Absolutely hated that. You could spank Katie all day long. You give Katie 15 paddlings all day, and she'd just smile at you and say, you just can't hit hard enough, Dad. You're losing it in your old age. But he said, Katie, you got to go in your room. you got to close your door. And while we're out here playing a board game as a family, you have to sit on your bed and be quiet and not move. That would absolutely make her feel miserable because she was a captive, and she couldn't get out. And Jesus says there are people that are spiritually captive. Isaiah says the one who's going to come is going to set the captives free. He's going to proclaim liberty to the captives. The third descriptive term that the prophet uses is that there's going to be a restoration of sight to the blind. So we have the idea of the scales coming off someone's eyes. You're in a situation where you can't see, where you're blinded, where people have to explain to you the beauty of the things they're seeing around you, no matter how much they explain it. If you have this infirmity, if you can't see, you can maybe appreciate it to a certain extent, but you can't fully grasp the glory and the majesty, and the everyday things become even more difficult to do. And Jesus says, there's a spiritual blindness that brings you a spiritual disability that hampers you from seeing the glory and the beauty of God. And the fourth descriptive term that the prophet uses is the one who needs to be set free from the oppressor. This is, uh, I've asked several people about this part of the picture, and uh, I've gotten different answers. It's actually a yoke that you put, uh, that you attach to the oxen to plow the field. Uh, one of the, the 12-year-olds last week we were put up said it's a river and there are some side rivers to it. So uh, didn't grow up in an agrarian culture there. Um, that's okay, I get that. But, but this is the, the, the yoke that's put on the oxen. The oxen don't want to be out in the field. 
they, they'd like to be on the field, but they'd like to be eating the grass or the wheat or the grain. They'd like to be relaxing with the rest of the oxen. They don't want to be out pulling the plow. And the idea here is that someone is forced to do something they don't want to do. Someone's put into a position of, of forced labor, and they can't control the outcome of their life. They're under the servitude of another. And so you look at these terms and the poor and the captive and the blind and the oppressed, these are the ones that the Messiah is going to come and set free and to bring redemption. And you say, that's wonderful for those folks. Isn't it so great that they're going to have a Messiah? But that doesn't describe me. I'm doing great. I I, I don't feel at all like I'm a nameless, faceless person in the crowd that that can't take care of themselves. I'm very self-sufficient. Nobody has me locked up behind bars. I go and come as I please. There are no scales on my eyes. I see very clearly the world around me, and I have a philosophy that works for me. And and no one's putting a a yoke on me and forcing me to go and do something I don't want to do. Friends, if, if we don't grasp the truth of this passage, which is simply this. These are the most accurate descriptive terms in you and me that Jesus could possibly come up with. When Isaiah the prophet said, there's the need, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, not only looking at himself, but he was looking at you and me and every other human being that's ever walked this world. We might be okay financially today, but that doesn't mean that spiritually we aren't bankrupt. We walk away from God, we turn our back on Him, we decide to go our own way, we decide to follow the, the, the things that this world says will give us meaning and give us joy and give us pleasure. What we find out if we really run down that road far enough is that it is meaningless and it's pointless. And no matter how much you have, it's never going to be enough. And I guarantee, I guarantee if we could actually be honest with one another and shine, to turn the house lights all the way up and say, let's talk about those things which captivate our hearts. Let's talk about the things that we cannot shake, that we really don't like about ourselves. Let's admit the things that we don't want to admit to anybody else. Maybe our spouse doesn't even know them. Maybe our children aren't even aware of them. But we know that deep in our hearts, we can't break that sin pattern in our lives. It's been there for two years or five years or ten years or fifteen years. And Isaiah actually has put his finger on the pulse of your life and my life. We say we're not blind, and yet we we can't see the grace of God and Christ Jesus right in front of our very eyes. And we're working for the slave. We're working as a slave of sin. We're compelled to go against the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God. I would suggest that any confidence that Isaiah is talking about someone else clearly misses the mark. Because these are self-inflicted spiritual wounds We have created spiritual poverty in our lives. We have put on the chains of sin that bind us. No one forces us to sin. No one one forces you. No one holds a gun to your head and says, you better go out and gossip about somebody tomorrow. And yet you find out, man, I'm on the phone again and I'm saying something about someone. I just shouldn't be doing it and here I am again. You shouldn't have that lustful thought and yet it passes through your mind. You shouldn't have that outburst of anger. No one's forcing you to have an outburst of anger and yet there it is right on the tip of your tongue. You say the very thing you said you would never ever say to your spouse again and there you've gone and done it. You and I are prisoners. And we want to deny it and we want to be blind to it but the truth is that the very people that the Messiah has described as coming to aid, that's you and that's me. And so it's good that you've stayed up late tonight. 
You've come to the right place. Not Green Tree Community Church, but you've come to the Messiah, to the Word of God. How does God respond? Because when you stop and think about this, what, what Isaiah is saying is that we've turned our back on God. God has offered us life. God has offered us freedom. God has offered to care for us, and we've said no, 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 thank you. And the collateral damage of that from a human perspective is all around us. People lie scattered at our feet emotionally and spiritually broken because of the damage we caused. I couldn't wait for my own daughter to get home from Hawaii. I've seen her six months, and it took us three days to get in a big fight. Now, okay, we got it out of our system, and, we, and, we, and we've been fine since then, but what's that all about? 52-year-old grown man. I can't learn to speak kindly to my own daughter. I mean, really? That's awful. That's horrendous. I was the one who started the fight. And I'm going to stand here and tell you I'm not a slave to sin. And you're going to tell me you're not a slave to sin? I'm not buying it. We are broken people. And if God doesn't come to save people like this, then we have no hope. But the good news that you stayed up late, that you get to hear is that that's exactly why Jesus came. It's the whole point. The process. The good news of the poor. You who are spiritually poor, you can't help yourselves. You have become rich. You ever seen those publishers clearinghouse commercials where they bring the big old check, you know, it's worth a million dollars, and the person opens the door, and then they kind of run in place for 10 minutes and scream at the top of their lungs, right? They found out they're not poor anymore. That's a pretty cool thing, right? You ever seen somebody who has been a prisoner and been set free? Go back and, and, and watch the movie Invictus and, and look at the, some of the story of the life of Nelson Mandela and the, the experience he had in coming into his freedom and then becoming the president of South Africa. Talk to somebody who's had their sight taken away for even a brief period of time and have it restored and what it feels like to look out and actually see the blue sky, to see the scenery around them. Talk to someone who's been oppressed. Talk to someone who's been a victim of social injustice and to see if, they, if they've been relieved of that, if they've had someone come to their rescue and stand up and fight for them, how they feel about that person. That's what the Messiah that's why we celebrate Christmas. This isn't a religious duty that we're here tonight, that, we, that, we, that we're compelled to, to get to church before we open our gifts so we'll feel, feel better about ourselves. We're here with, with hearts filled with joy because the Messiah has cared enough for the nameless, faceless poor of whom I am one to come and to give his life as a ransom for me. And through the, the gift of Jesus Christ, we have this redemption. Jesus said to the, to the crowd in Nazareth, today this, this prophecy, today this prophecy has come true in your hearing. Jesus says, I'm here. The dawn has come. The sun is up. You can see it clearly. I've come to bring redemption and salvation and grace and mercy. And Jesus is saying the same thing to you and to me tonight. Because you see, there's a bigger picture here, and Sean hasn't just wandered up here because he's lost. But we're going we're gonna to show you the rest of his creation because one of the other things that he captured, which I so appreciate, is that within the context of each of these scenarios, there is a, there's a bigger world. And there's a light that's shining all around us. And so I'm going I'm to um, help him show you the rest of what he has, has created. We good? Yeah, you can clap. Absolutely. 
I wish I could say I had anything at all to do with this. I took one measurement in Chris Kerr's garage and took, it had one pencil mark on, on this deal. Uh, that, that, was my, uh, that was my help. But the, the couple things we want you to see, there's, there's more glory and there's more beauty than there is pain and suffering. And that in the economy of God, as the light shines into our lives, it brings us hope as it does two things. The first is it exposes us for who we are. Can't hide it. When Jesus says, I've, I've come to help you guys and here's who you are, we don't say, no, that's not us. If we do, we're still in the darkness. The light doesn't shine through. But as the light shines through and exposes these issues in our lives, we have the opportunity to be set free from them. We have the opportunity to experience standing in the light of God's dawn. We have the opportunity to experience salvation and redemption and hope. But there's one other thing that I want to mention before we, before we go home and open our presents while the rest of our family sleep. And that is that even someone who has been spiritually oppressed or even someone who's been spiritually blind, once the light shines into their lives, they can be used by God to show the way to others. And you might be sitting there tonight saying, you know, that really does describe me and I, and I have put my faith in Christ. I do believe in him. He is making a difference in my life, but I could never make a difference in anybody else's life. I'm no Susan Ward. I, I, can't, I can't go to the rescue of all those people. I'm just, she, she's going to hit me afterwards. But, you know, I don't know that I could, could ever do that kind of thing. Friend, if the light is shining on you, you can be a reflection to somebody else. And quite frankly, that's all Green Tree Community Church is. You know, maybe you're here tonight as a visitor. Maybe somebody brought you and they've told you what, what a great place Green Tree is. The fact of the matter is, the only thing great about Green Tree Community Church is when we have those moments where we get it right and the glory of God is reflected through our lives. Because Green Tree Community Church is filled with people that are described in those four slots. And yet it's filled with people who have experienced the grace of God. It's filled with people who say the light of the gospel has come and dawned in my life. What Isaiah said, that, that slow coming sunrise is finally here. And I don't always get it right. And sometimes I slip back. Sometimes I kind of pull the scales back down over my own eyes. It's a self-inflicted wound, let me see. And the beauty of why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. It's because the light of salvation has come. It's dawned in our hearts. And my prayer is that it's dawned in every one of our hearts this evening. Because if that's the case, then God has made it right between us and him. And he can use us to shine that light into the lives of others. We pray with you. Father, we thank you for the glory of our salvation. God, we could, we could never dream up a scenario like this. This world is lost and broken and in darkness. Every life in this room, apart from Christ, no matter how successful we are in the world's economy, ultimately is, is without purpose and without hope. But you have created us for eternity. You've created us to be in relationship with you. We willfully or, or out of our ignorance rejected you or, or, or willfully went the other way. You didn't just say, well, I'm going to let them go. They made their bed. I'm going to let them sleep in it. That's their problem now. I've, I've done my part. You made the sacrifice. 
It's so ironic to me, Lord, that we, we celebrate tonight a child who is born in a barn. Graciousness in our lives. But do we really understand the sacrifice that you made so that the light of salvation could dawn in our lives? Father, I pray that you would, you would burn that into our hearts even at this late hour of the night. And when he came, he came with a very specific purpose. To save those of us who were poor and, and had, had no resources to save ourselves. He came to, to open the, the prison doors and set us free when we were captives. He came to peel the scales away from our eyes. And he came to take the, the yoke and the burden off of our back so that we could be set free to enjoy him and worship him and praise him. Father, I pray that our lives would do that. Not just our mouths when we come to to church on Sunday morning or on a night like tonight, but that our lives would do that and reflect his glory so that others can see. We pray in his name.